Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Above the Bar podcast, where each week we belly up to the bar with a new guest, find out what they do, who they are, and what makes them great. So sit back, relax, and enjoy. Alrighty, folks, welcome back to the Above the Bar podcast. It's your host, Sean. We are bellying up this week, touching on two of my favorite topics. I love comics and graphic novels. I've read more than I can count. If you were to be able to see the other side of this, this camera, heck, I'll do it for a second here. Look, there that's an entire that's just a shelf of them. That's not counting all the other stuff I've got around here. Look, those of you that are watching the live, you got a behind the scenes of that one. We're touching on that. And my other thing that I've tried to learn. I'm not very good at it. I don't understand all the terminologies, but I do understand when the ticker on E-Trade goes to green, <clears throat> I'm going the right direction. When it turns to red, I become sad. Uh, it's a complete play on my emotions. So to help us out with that, we have uh, Nanook of the North, the Northern Gold Mine, Gold Rush, finding the quest to all of our hearts and how to fill our wallets full of all the awesome stuff that any of us could ever want bellying up to the bar with us today is Mr. And David, I'm going to get your last name, right? Cause you helped me out with it. Dave. Let's see if I do it. David Desile. Delisle. So Delisle. close. So close. That's all right. I'll take it. Look, if I wouldn't have been saying my own last name for 47 <laughs> years and it's pretty simple, I'd probably get it wrong too, David, but what's up brother. Welcome to the bar. So happy to be here. This is, this is going to be fun. It's going, I try, I do my best at some point, Nate will pop up and he's going to get, I'm going to tell you now, get your stuff ready for some kind of a food question. Cause Nate will pop up at some point. He's going to ask you something food related. So have it in your mind, uh, what your food answer will be. He always shows up, but before we get too far into this and we get down the rabbit hole and we start learning all about the awesome stuff and the golden quest, uh, let's go ahead and take care of cleaning up the bar as always over my right shoulder we got the big sign for sticker and a cause if you've got something that maybe you wrote a graphic novel maybe you have a website something you're trying to teach kids about whatever it happens to be reach out to us on facebook linkedin youtube twitter twitch tiktok instagram even our email is the above the bar podcast at gmail.com let me know what you got going on i'll give you the address where to send that sticker you fire me off a sticker we put it on the big board and we read Read all about it for everybody so that you get a little bit of free advertising. Also, our sponsors, Budget Blinds of Hudson and Cooksaki, New York, and Budget Blinds of East Greenbush. For the month of August, they are running a – this is some of the awesome stuff, David. You ready? This is going to be awesome stuff. Are you ready for I'm it? In. I'm ready. Are you ready? I, I need to hear the enthusiasm. Are you ready? I'm skeptical. I'm, I'm ready, though. I'm ready. Let's skeptical. hear it. I like skepticism. <laughs> you know what? Skepticism keeps us honest. I like it. Well, budget blinds of, uh, and they actually have budget blinds up in Canada, so we can do that too. But budget blinds of Hudson and Cooksaki, New York, and budget blinds of East Greenbush during the month of August are running a sale. Buy two window shades, get the third of equal or lesser value for free. Everybody likes free. I like free. And if you give them a call and you let them know that you're there to belly up to the bar, they're going to take good care of you. Also, during that time frame, 
always keep in mind, or I shouldn't say during that time frame, but always keep in mind that everything from Budget Blinds is going to come with a five-year no questions asked warranty before you actually get to the actual manufacturer's warranty, which from them, they say all their manufacturers offer some form of a limited lifetime warranty. They call it a string to string, sort of like a bumper to bumper for your car. So again, maybe you're out there looking for the awesome stuff and you happen to break one of your blinds. The kid, kid does a big elbow through one of them and it needs to be replaced. You can pick up the phone and just call them up and say, Hey, I need this one taken care of. And they're going to take care of you. So again, that's Budget Blinds of East Greenbush and Budget Blinds of Hudson and Cooksaki, New York. All right. Bar is completely open, David. Everything is done and taken care of. Has it started yet snowing yet up in Nova Scotia? No, I'm on the West Coast. So we're more like Seattle, Vancouver weather. And okay, so it's, it's raining. It's warm. It's well, no, it's been it's been uh, nice, nice sunny. I just got back from uh camping. I just came back from camping on the beach. Yeah, literally nice. like an hour ago. Just camping straight. or glamp? Camp or glamp? Oh, I do camp. Backpack. Oh, yeah. Nice. Yeah. Brother, glamp I'm... is nice, but it's once you once you start doing the backpacking, sleeping on the beach, listening to the waves all night, it's it's really hard to go back. So I, I retired out of the Marine Corps, as most of all my listeners know. And uh I'll tell you, I've done the uh I got paid to camp. And once you've gotten paid to do it and then you don't get paid to do it, it it's a different animal. It's yeah. true. And I'm listening. Do you know who David Goggins is? No. You got to read. Well, you're, I'm assuming you're a reader. You're a yeah, reader. I read a ton of stuff, though. So. What's um, his book? It's called You Can't Hurt Me. Hmm. And um, phenomenal book. Uh, I was just on another podcast, uh, Champions Nation. Uh, everybody go listen to them. But we were talking a little bit about it. And I think if you're into camping and you've got, you've got a mindset that I like, like, from a young age, don't tell me what my limitations are. I'm going to learn stuff. I'm going to figure stuff out. I'm going to keep figuring it out. Well, this guy is one of those ones that like came from a horrible background, horrible upbringing, and has done nothing but figure out. Uh, he, you might have heard of the 40% mindset. Like we're all only operating on 40%. We have 60 more percent. He created that. Ah, gotcha. Nice. Yeah. So, and, and the reason the camping fell into that, because he's like, he's run like something like, when the book was written in like 2019 or 2020, he had already run 60 ultra marathons. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not doing the ultra marathons, but camping on a beach. Brother, I'm not walking two miles anymore in my life. Business wise, I'll be good, but I digress. It's not about me. It's all about you, David. That is why we're here. So let's talk about what you, you know, your background. So I kind of mentioned it. You've been investing since you were 11 years old. By the time you were 20, if I understood everything right, you were a full-time. That's what you were doing by age 20 was you were investing. Am I still on the right track? Yeah. I mean, I did the this typical career and uh, got into, did a computer science degree and a business degree and started my own businesses and did online marketing. But yeah, I've been investing since I was 10, started buying real estate in my early 20s and semi-retired by 40 so it's That's been yeah and and really if i look at it there's nothing nothing that i did that was really that crazy it's it's just really mindset and habits and and that's what i try to teach well, well i that's what i love i love about all this is we're not 
you you used the one word that I'm really, again, I'll, I'll reference that other book I recently listened. I'm listening to David Goggins book, but also I've, some of the other ones I've, I've listened to never split the difference books like that. Everybody's kind of anti-motivation. It's not a, like motivation fades. A- and it sounds like you, you said mindset. This is where I'm going. This is what I'm going to achieve. Sound For sure. Right? It's a hundred percent true. It's, it really is all, all mindset. And I mean, cause that's, if we think, if we think of money, it's, there's it's rare for people to think about money and not have feelings come up around it and they're positive feelings or negative feelings or feelings that were passed down as feelings were told from the you know the media everything else whereas you know money is just a tool like it it shouldn't be charged the way it is but we really do charge it and that's where the mind mindset piece comes into play because we start realizing that we all have our own personal stories tied up with money and once we get past that and just see it as a tool, everything becomes simpler. I love that. I never thought about that. We do. If you were, if you grew up and mom and dad always told you, we don't have money for that. You attach an emotion of every time you spend a dollar. I don't, I don't have that anymore. Or, or you're just the opposite. You're like, I was told my whole life. We, we couldn't buy that. I'm buying everything. I don't care if it's on credit. Come get me. That's an, that's an interesting. I like that. Yeah. 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 And we get, and we get caught up in it and there's no, and the problem is if we stick with that emotion, it's not the money that makes a difference. It's that emotion that's tied to it. So if you're, if you, like you said, if you, if you're in this mindset of, you know, never having enough, it really doesn't matter how much you have like that, that feeling will never go away. And in the same way, if you're constantly chasing, you know, things to, you know, I could never have these things. So I want more and more and more. And you just, you know, buy your way through things as well. You, that as well, you won't, you won't hit an end to, okay, I finally bought the last thing I need to buy and now I'm good. And... Interesting. Cause you know what? I, look, we're making a left turn. Cause you got, you started talking about stuff and we're going to talk it. about the, the graphic novel. You, you hit something with, with the, the, the wealth kind of that money mindset. So is wealth just as much as poverty? Are they truly just mindsets? Because I've heard that a lot of times, and I believe that poverty is a mindset. For sure. I mean, you want to be careful because there is, you know, there's sort of like these minimums. Like there's a, you know, if below a certain minimum, life's going to be really hard, and it will be. But then once you're past that, and it's much lower than most people think, all of a sudden it's it's a hundred percent mindset, and when and you see this when you start meeting people at all different uh, sort of income levels and what they've achieved and how many assets they have. And it doesn't matter how much someone has, most people are basically in the same mindset of, you know, I don't quite have enough and they're living paycheck to paycheck. And so when you start finding millionaires living paycheck to paycheck and you wonder how could that be, you start realizing it's mindset because we grow into this lifestyle inflation grows into what we can spend. And that's how it happens. More you make them respond. Well, that's the the thing with San Francisco. They say that the city of San Francisco has more people per capita making over a hundred thousand dollars a year, but they also 
those people making a hundred thousand dollars a year can't afford to live in that city. They have to live two and three people to an apartment because of the sheer cost of living in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So, and, and, and here, and I know you like your left turns. What, like, why is that? What, how is that possible? How are these people making all this money and they can't afford their lifestyle? New York would be the same thing. Mm-hmm. And so it starts making you wonder, like, is this what, you know, there's a, there's a point below that where, yeah, I get the poverty, right. But really we're, we're talking about people, once you start making money and you're stuck in this rat race and you can't break out, mindset's huge. And, and it's much bigger than people think it is. I recently talked about this. I had a, I believe that some of the best advice I ever got was some from some of the worst bosses I ever worked for. And it's, it's a fact that, but this one guy, his name was Rob from CSX. I have no problem. I got my own business. You ain't bothering me none, Rob. But uh, one thing he said to me when I was on the railroad was, get out of this before you're addicted to the money. Mm. And I didn't quite understand it coming from the Marine Corps at the time. And seven years later, almost eight, by the time I left the railroad, I knew so many railroaders that hated their job with a passion, wanted nothing to do with the railroad anymore. Every day was just painful to come to work. They just hope for the like they hope for the next person ahead of them to retire or get hurt, not hurt, hurt, but like something. So they went away so they could have a little bit more seniority. So their schedule could be a little bit better. And they were purely addicted to the money and the retirement because railroad retirement is amazing. If you if if you're married in the railroad, and you make four thousand dollars in retirement. Your spouse gets two thousand dollars automatically so it's hard to turn it away so it's very interesting you know that addiction to a lifestyle and to the money you're making and what kind of a rat race it causes to you but that kind of feeds into your book you've got a lot of this knowledge and you have two sons two sons two sons and you wanted to pass this kind of information on to them so the first thing you wrote was the golden quest right in 2022 yeah. Yeah. So, so how did you decide that like graphic novel to pass on to my kids, the type of information? Cause they were probably look. I'm a dad. I've got, I've got a lot of kids and, and I've been told I'm a lecturer when I talk sometimes and I know they're done talking to me. So, so were they, when, when you were like, I'm going to write a graphic novel so you can read it and hear more of my, my mouth were they like, yeah, thanks dad. I, I really appreciate that. <laughs> they were, I mean, exactly. They weren't that excited. And to be honest, it wasn't going to be a graphic novel. This was just, you know, notes that I wanted to pass down to my boys. And as it evolved, I realized like there was a lot of unique ways I view money. So I started, you know, compiling this sort of these ideas that I wanted to pass down. And it wasn't until I was volunteering at my son's library, uh, their school library and seeing all these kids just devouring graphic novels, which I read graphic novels too, but they're, they're different than when we were kids. Like they, they've really evolved. Like these are Superman stories. These are full on books. It's like reading, you know, a script or watching a movie. Like they're, they're, they're amazing. And that's when it, it sort of clicked where I could take these lessons, put it in a format that kids actually get. And it's fun because the whole point is for them to actually learn. And that's how this whole thing really, really became something much more because it just lands. So I, I've get, 
you know, kids under five will read the book, even if they can't quite read yet, and they'll flip through and get the concepts. And everything I wrote in the book, there's the same lessons that I, as I want to pass on to adults. Like we're talking, like mindset's got nothing to do with a five-year-old. It's the same. It's just as important for an adult as a five-year-old. But I wrote it in a way that five-year-olds can get it. And there's something that they can all get and they pick up on. And the beauty of it is, yeah, my kids, my boys were, you know, they were a little older at the time. Now they're 12 and 14. But in the process, talking to them, these concepts have started to land where the whole goal, like I'm just trying not to lecture them. And I even notice sometimes they get worried about just thinking about money and overthinking money. Yes. For me, again, getting back to mindset, a lot of times when we teach money, it's to teach people to just be ultra vigilant, thinking about money all the time, worried about money, saving, doing all the right things. Whereas for me, the whole point is that's why I mentioned mindset and habits. With the right habits, the whole thing just happens and fades into the background. And for me, the goal is that money isn't top of mind. Money, you know, financial freedom, achieving, you know, wealth is not thinking about money all the time. That's to me what the goal is. And so that's what I try to do with my boys as well is keep it really simple so they don't actually have to worry about it or think about it. I, I like I like that approach to it. Now I'm you know you you've got a great mindset. Now you being an entrepreneur, starting businesses and everything, I watched my dad as a kid um do both running running uh small businesses uh and then being an employee also and I feel that I'm I'm right in the same spot. I was an employee now trying to be a small business owner and move to a business owner. So what are some of the goals that you were hope? I, I know you, you want to teach them these things, but through the book, who are your main characters and how are you using them to teach these different lessons? So basically you follow one main character and he's a young boy loosely based off, you know, my oldest son who goes on this quest and on this quest, he learns four golden rules of money through four different mentors. And each one teaches him a different lesson. And it's really as simple as that, where when you look at it, there's not a lot, there's not a lot to learn. It really is just a few basic, basic concepts. And it's because when we start thinking about money again, we start getting into, you know, high finance and macroeconomics and, things of that nature, which, I mean, I'm a, I'm a money nerd. I love that stuff. And I could bore you to death, Sean, with this stuff. But I know oh, as soon as I started talking. Bore away. I'm I would, die. well, and that's the thing. You, I bore you so quickly talking about interest rates and things of that nature. And really, it, these things don't have as big of an impact as we think we do. Like, I love that stuff. I was looking at that stuff. I was investing in real estate. I was investing in mutual funds and the stock market. But really, if you look at creating like a habit of like everything that comes in, a certain percentage just goes into the, you know, just as automatically invested without you even thinking about it. That, especially over time, will have so much more of an impact than picking the right stock. I know just before the show, you're talking about your stock picking. I mean, there's something to be said for good stock picking, but the reality is the habit of actually saving a percentage of everything you made for the last 10, 20 years would have so much more of an impact on your actual wealth than trying to, you know, find the next Bitcoin. So that took me, you know, and I, I admit to this 
readily. That wasn't something I learned or understood until I was probably almost 40 years old. I, I really didn't because being in the service, my mindset was I'm going to get a retirement. I'm going to have my medical and dental taken care of. Whatever else I do, I don't need to put money away. What What does it matter? I'll have, I'll always have, that's my retirement fund. I ain't, I'm not worried about it. And then once I got out, I started, people were like, so we'll do a up to a 6% match. I'm like, what does that mean? I don't understand this stuff. Let me go look this up. And I'm like, wait a sec. So if I put a put 6% of my paycheck in, you'll put another 6%? Yeah, I'm like, that's free money. I'll take that all day long. And so I, I understand what, what you're saying there. So as, as you're developing these ideas for, for all this, was there at any point as you're doing, well, I should ask this question first, pause myself for a second. So when did it turn from notes to, I'm going to get an artist. I'm going to start, you know, turning this into a graphic novel. And I think I've got something everybody's, everybody needs to hear. When, yeah, did, so when did that shift happen? That shift happened fast. As soon as, like I said, I saw these kids doing this, it almost clicked instantly, making this a graphic novel, the whole concept, making the quest, teaching these lessons, even writing the initial framework for the book came pretty quick. But the whole process took uh, over two years to get all the okay. illustrations done. Like it's a big, it's a big book. And so it took a while. And even then, it wasn't until I started talking about, like I mentioned, the awesome stuff, like the the compound interest bit and the habit bit, extremely important. And that's going to create wealth, especially with young kids. And it is important. And we need to be teaching this to kids. But the part that really shifted for me was this concept around the awesome stuff. And that's the mindset piece. Because I quickly realized that that's the piece. Like a lot of us have heard about compound growth and saving and letting your money invest and, you know, People like wealthy people, you know, own assets. They don't own, you know, liabilities. Like we, we've heard this stuff, but we don't really hear about the mindset and the whole idea of why we want money in the first place. And that's the bit when I started talking to more and more people about it, especially adults, seeing it change their whole perspective. Because previous to that, they would be chasing. So if you take the people like we're talking about in San Francisco, you're chasing. Part of the reason they can't afford to live there is because most people are spending as much as they can on their home as they can afford, which means there's nothing left over. So you're living paycheck to paycheck. And as soon as you start shifting that mindset of like to what's really important to you and asking those questions and realizing what really is important to you and focusing on those things, instead of maximizing your expenses, you start figuring out what's really valuable and it, it changes everything. It changes the way you look at money. It changes your priorities. It changes how you look at stuff. It starts being applied to all sorts of things, your work, your friends, your families, what really is important to you? Because I think most people don't actually stop to ask themselves. They assume what's important to them. They've been told what's important to them. But you can tell just talking to someone how much joy they find in something. And I absolutely agree with that. And you can see you start talking to someone and they start telling you about this funny hobby or a trip they did with their kids or, you know, 
uh, vacation or, you know, art class they started taking and they, they just light up. And then you're asked like, well, what, why aren't you doing more of this? And they never even, it's right. not even, they're not even thinking about it. They're thinking they should be buying the Gucci bag because that's what they were told to buy. I was going to say, and the cost of, of whatever that thing that brightened their day up never come comes in. They, you know, they never discuss that, but you do have a question from the host of the, one of the hosts of the outlaw blitz podcast world now world traveler. Uh, if I remember right, I think George was just in, he was either in Italy or Ireland. I can't remember, but he's a uh, world. No, it was Ireland. Yeah. Cause he's a world traveler. Uh, George McDonald, everybody go check out outlaw blitz. He's got a great question. And this is one that we've seen come up and I think has been cut out of a lot of school programs. And people say, you know, we're arguing about what we're teaching our kids, but why aren't we teaching them this? And the question is, is do you think schools should teach money management and different philosophies of saving and spending and investing? Do you think that that's a, a school thing or should be, nope, that's mom and dad's job? I mean, for sure, I think school should be teaching this. And it seems like a very obvious answer to say yes, because it's a big miss to not teach some of these basic things, just like the compound interest like you're talking about. Like you start seeing the value of, of compound interest and what that actually means. Like our minds can't fathom that. We don't think that way. We need to see examples of like, here's a kid who started at 20. Here's a kid, who, you know, an adult started at 40, saving identical amounts. Like, and you see the trajectory and see how much it changes. Like those, those things need to be taught to our kids because, you know, it's, it's basic math that we can't learn otherwise. But what I have found where I, where I start to hesitate a little bit is I start to realize, especially if we start thinking about philosophies, and as I sort of mentioned at the top of the show, how much emotion is tied into money. Right. And that same emotion is tied into like our educators, like everyone's going to have their different stories and you start to see that. And that's what gets really tricky. Like if we do want to start teaching this money management, we have to figure out how to teach basic facts without emotion and judgment and guilt and all the rest attached to it. And, and that might be a little trickier than we think it is. It, It sounds really easy, but then if we start seeing that in practice, I mean, the worst thing would be teaching our kids, you know, don't spend money because you'll never have enough or, you know, start telling, teaching these different stories or invest in the stock market because it's, you know, you're an idiot if you don't. I mean, right. You know, there's, there's sort of teaching basic money management would be really important, but it will, I I can just see how much disagreement there would be in the school system on what, what we teach and why and what we can teach and what's true and what's false. Right. And, and the reason I mentioned it is because I noticed that even with my book, it's, it's still fundamentally a, a children's book and it's a graphic novel. It's meant to be light, teach these basic lessons with no judgment and just here's some information. And the amount of people that get upset about certain things, like when I talk about investing and compound growth and money money growing you start feeling a lot of these money stories and start seeing how it can be it it could be a dangerous thing if we just start letting our educators or politicians dictate what we want to teach our kids about money but you just said said it politicians and and as you're saying it and i agree that like it should be taught i feel like i i had a teacher who um used to always talk about uh 
401ks and if you had a child starting from the time they were born till they were 18, putting X amount of dollars every month into a 401k, by the time they were 18, they could be a, a millionaire. And, you know, he, he used to always talk about this and we were all like, shut up. I want to go get a soda. Um, but I think that's the other side of this is if you do teach it, depending upon how you teach it in schools, if you teach it in a affluential area um, who mom and dad probably have a couple of nickels to rub together, they're probably already doing these things. That kid goes home and says, mom and dad, I want to open a bank account and start doing this. They're going to be like, well, Tippy and Tata, we're going to just go do that right now. You didn't know it. Mommy and daddy's already got you one. And it's going to be no big deal. Flip that script. And we're in Mississippi who falls 50th in everything. And that kid goes, mom, dad, I want to go do this. They're going to be like, son, I can't afford to put gas in the car to go to work tomorrow and make sure you get to school. I ain't got money. Tell your teacher if they want, want you to put something, <clears throat> they can put it away for you. Like, I feel like that's what we would get. It just but depending. You you nailed it, David. I think it's just a. We all want to fight about everything, don't we? Yeah. We just need we need to feel offended. I need to feel offended today. I'm not feeling. Yeah. I'm not feeling like I'm getting enough attention. I'm being offended enough. Would you please offend me? I just I feel better then. It's interesting. I, but so that this is a great then aspect. If you're looking for something, checking going on to Amazon, you can find the. The Golden Quest on Amazon is an Amazon bestseller. Is it on your website, theawesomestuff.com? Yeah, you can order on the website as well. You can order direct from there or you can direct through Amazon. It's also, if you go to any of your big bookstores and request okay. it, they can they can access it there as well. And Are there still yeah. bookstores? Do we still have bookstores? They're, I think we have they are. I know. We've got, we've got Barnes & Noble. Some of the small bookstores, if they want to, they could, they could pull it in. But yeah. Is it on Comixology? Is it on Comixology yet? It isn't on Comixology. You got to get it on Comixology. Yeah. Because that's a comic book reader app. And you can, it holds the panels up for you and you can flip through the panels. That'd be a good idea. Yeah, I'll try that. And yeah. I am looking at doing a, a soft cover version that's uh, print on demand so people can yeah. easily get in other countries as well. Right now, it's, I mean, it's all, all uh, with a distributor in the U.S. So getting you- out of the U.S. can be expensive. Yeah. Oh God. Everything out of the U S is expensive. So, but that kind of feeds into the awesome stuff.com. So if I know on Facebook, we can find you under golden quest on Facebook. You have all that there and on LinkedIn, uh, you're right on, on LinkedIn. Let's see if I don't jack it up this time on LinkedIn. It's under David Desile. Delisle. Delisle. I know it's a tricky name. It's a French name. So (laughs) it can be tricky. And even but you're, but you're on the west coast. Of, you're on the west coast of, of Canada. You can't. You can't be I French. Know. I know. My back friend. in the ancestors, early ancestors. Do you like? Do you like Letter Kenny? I've barely. I've watched bits of it, but yeah, Letter Kenny. One of my favorite episodes is is the Quebec episode where they say Quebec about seventy five different ways: Quebec, 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 and they just go through all of them. I love everybody. <laughs> Love letter, Kenny. But, you know, so how do we move from where we're at with writing the book to what are we going to get out of the awesome stuff.com? So the awesome stuff. So really what I'm trying to do is share some of these messages. 
And the reason it's all based around the awesome stuff. So the awesome stuff is the first lesson that I teach in the book. And the awesome stuff, the first lesson is only by the awesome stuff. And the beauty of that is when people hear that, and same in the, with the kid in the book, first impression is, that's all I buy, is I only buy the awesome stuff. I mean, obviously, like, awesome. like this lesson sucks. And, and the kid says the same thing. And anyone reading it thinks that. But just like anything, I'm, like this whole thing's about money mindfulness. So if I started going through, like I do with the kid in the book, like let's, let's think of all the things in your room. How many things are you playing with? How many stuff's been forgotten in the corner? How many stuff's buried in the closet? What do you, you know, what's your favorite thing? And then start thinking about like, what is the one thing you love the most? And focusing on that and thinking about that. And how does that make you feel? And that becoming your bar for the awesome stuff. You start realizing that's the feeling you're going after. That's what's important to you. And that applies to kids. That applies to adults. And that'd be the same as when you're looking at, you know, you're the same kids in a grocery store and having a temper tantrum over wanting to get some ice cream. You could ask them, is that your awesome stuff? Some kids, the answer will be yes. But even five-year-olds will stop, they'll pause, they'll look at that ice cream and they can tell you if this is something they really care about or not, or it's just something they, they want to buy. And that's the thing with the awesome stuff. Because what happens is if you start getting in the frame of mind of like only buying the awesome stuff and recognizing what your awesome stuff is, you don't have these feelings of like envy or lack or budgeting or having without, like you really know what's important to you. And that's what your focus is on. And so you're not chasing, it's not this rat race. So uh, previous to this, like even the kid in the book, is think of all the things he can buy, all the things he can do, all the stuff. And the reality is, is that wouldn't, wouldn't actually bring him any joy. And it's not that the things are bad, it's that they're bad for that kid. I mean, because everyone has different things that are important to them. And if you really know what's important to you, and that's what you're chasing, it's very hard to be stuck in this rat race of consumption and wanting more. So do you have a process or is it on the awesome stuff or is it in Golden Quest? For for people, and, and I'm not just saying kids, but people in general, uh, to to kind of come up with the idea of determining what their awesome stuff is, because you know, I, when I hear that, what I hear is the difference between an emotional buy, a impulse buy, and a need buy. Does that make sense? Yeah, like there's definitely some of that in it. And a lot of it is just, just being a bit more present. Like if I ask, like, I mean, we could try this even if you want to try, we could yeah, let's like, do it. Let's, let's do it. What's, so if I asked you, what's, what's your awesome stuff? What comes to mind? What's really important to you? What's your, where do you want to put your money or what's, what's important, most important to you? So, so right off the bat, when you say that the first thing that comes to mind to me is things that make my business better. Mm -hmm. that's my awesome stuff is anything that will make my business better. Like I have, like it's one of the coolest things in the world to me is I have a laser measurer for when I go and measure windows and it's makes my life so much easier because sometimes reading a tape measure, you're at that, like, is it an eighth or isn't it a 16th? I just stick that thing on there. So anything to me, awesome stuff is, stuff that makes my business better without breaking the bank. Mm -hmm. 
That's my awesome stuff right now. And shoes. Now, and shoes. I love shoes. Is that bad? Well, that's the thing. It's nothing's bad. It's how how does it feel? How excited do you get about it? If it's shoes and if it's a tape measure, like I'm I'm happy with those answers. I don't know you well enough to know if there's other things that make you more excited. You mentioned you have a you know a whole bunch of kids, for example. I'm sure there's some stuff with the kids or some some memories or some experiences. I don't want to buy them anything. I'm oh, done. not buying them things, but okay, even doing good. things with them, like experiences or oh, okay, stuff yeah. with them, or you know, you I like it when they pack their stuff up and move away. <laughs> yeah, and then I can go visit them and and torture their homes the way they tortured me, like like watching the news and like enjoying what's going on, and like oh, that's what's happening. And then they sit down next to me, and go, "I want to watch a show that both of us will like." Well, I like this one, but but I want to watch something both of us will like. Does that mean you want to change my shit and put on something you want to watch? Yes. Get away from me. But yeah. And even my shoes, though. I'm so, I say I'm frugal. I have the Nike website, the Nike app. Have you ever been on the Nike app, David? Yeah, I'm not a shoe person. But I have seen how you can customize it, make your own shoes, do some cool stuff. David, it's even better than that. It's even better. I just bought my grandson for his birthday two pairs of shoes. He's 12. They were each pair was a hundred and sixty five dollar shoe. Do you know what I paid for each pair? Take a shot in the dark. You want to talk about awesome stuff? Here's my <laughs> awesome stuff. You got me thinking. You ready for my awesome stuff? You know what yeah. I paid for each pair of shoes? How much? Less than sixty five dollars a pair on the Nike website. And the one pair was the Air Force Ones, and the other ones were some other thing. But they were both like originally at this price, reduced to this price, and then put this code in, and we're going to drop the price again. I was like, sold, sold. So that's my awesome stuff. But but I mean, but we're communicating about it. But but do you have have you ever or maybe I'm we're we're going to figure it out right now. Have you ever sat down and like created like a process to help? You know, a parent who said, hey, I've, I've read the graphic novel myself. I've been on the awesome stuff website. My kid really digs this. But like creating a process that says, hey, let's talk about what your awesome stuff is and how we can keep ourselves in that mindset. Well, the beauty of it is this is how simple it is. We're just having this conversation. So I don't know if that's your awesome stuff. It doesn't matter if that's your awesome stuff. You stopped and paused and thought about it. I did. That in itself, like that's all we're looking for. And then that evolves. That becomes a process. Because now, how happy do those shoes make you? You can oh. feel that. You get excited about it. So now when you go to buy something, and you're like, you I thought pause. this would make me, like how many times have we bought something and we don't get that excited? They're going to pause right now, David. Let me order some shoes. <laughs> but, but that's like, you can feel it. And the things where you're like, I bought the shoes. And you could tell me, like, I, I was all excited. I bought these shoes. They're 65 bucks, regularly 185. I thought they're amazing. I got the things, though. My grandson, you know, hated them. They were crappy. Nobody liked them. They're in the closet. No one's wearing them. And you could feel just this, blah. Yeah. Or you're like, no, we got these things. We celebrated. He's excited. Every time he puts these things on, he's like, thanks, grandpa. These are amazing. Thanks about me. Where's them? 
brings joy, you start noticing those feelings. And as soon as you start noticing those feelings, that's the process. Because then you'll start thinking, well, what else makes me feel like that? Does anything make me feel better than that? And then as it starts happening, eventually you might be like, as much as I like those shoes, you know what I love even more than the shoes? I love, you know, X, Y, Z. And you start noticing those things. And you notice how it makes you feel. Not because someone told you you should buy it, not because it's on sale, not because it's what you think you should buy. It's because it actually makes you feel that way. And what I find is when I talk about this with a lot of people, typically what their initial response isn't their awesome stuff. Typically it's what they want to buy next. Not necessarily what they want, what their awesome stuff is, but where they've been planning, what, what, what they've been thinking about that they want to buy next. Or the opposite, they know what their awesome stuff is, but they feel like it's stupid. And so they'll explain to me before they even tell me what their thing is, why it's so stupid, why it seems foolish, why it's probably not the right thing, but they like it because they have all this guilt and shame around it. Hmm. And those are the things where, no, if you start really recognizing what, what makes you happy, what, what lights you up, then it changes things. And for some people, it's going to be the house in San Francisco. But for most of those people living in those homes, it's not. It's, you know, going, you know, going out to the country or it's, you know, buying shoes, whatever it might be, but all their money is stuck, spent on something that's not even that important to them. And we find that like how many times we've gone to an amazing meal and just gone through the motions, not really enjoyed it. And just like, you know, it wasn't our awesome stuff. We didn't really care. We just want to grab some food. Next thing you know, we spent 200 bucks on a meal for the family and we're like, yeah. Yeah, it's that awareness. It's the awareness. And that awareness, I'm telling you, Sean, it'll change everything. It's funny you say that. Like, we just came back from uh, the Cape out here in Massachusetts. And we had a couple of good, like, really amazing meals. Uh, definitely shout out to the Fisherman's View in Sandwich, Massachusetts. Um they have their, they have three of their own fishing boats that they go out every day to supply the restaurant. And the restaurant itself is gorgeous sitting on the canal right there in the Cape. And we, we spent good money. And that, I will tell you, that's actually probably another one of my awesome, awesome stuff is I true. I enjoy to cook. I enjoy to make meals for my family. So when I have a really good, well-prepared meal that I can tell that the people in the kitchen gave two bits about what they were doing and it wasn't going through the motions or you couldn't, or you could tell that it was like order number seven, you know, and you're like, God, we're at Mel's diner. I, I, that is one of my awesome things because we went to another restaurant our first day and perfect example. I spent probably 120 bucks for four of us to eat. And when it was done, I was like, this is one of the worst meals and services I've ever had. There was always people in the parking lot. And it was in a good location, but I'm like, this is just like the marinara was watered down for the uh, calamari. The I asked for more of a, I like lobster rolls. I asked for more of that lobster with the mayo and everything. They brought it out with butter. I asked the girl, I was like, hey, what do you have on, on draft? She's like, 
I don't drink beer. Here's here's menu. I'm like, oh, you, you're you're my waitress. Never came back to see if we wanted second drinks or anything like that. I was like, ah, okay. Mm-hmm. So, so you're absolutely right. Like that awesome stuff feeling can vary. You could this could be your awesome stuff, and if it didn't turn out awesome, it really changes your mindset. Well, and that's where I don't think we realize how much we spend on that we really don't care about. And yeah. that's, and that's why I was mentioning that. So once you're just, once you're in the frame of mind of thinking about it, anyone, if you like, we just, we can't like that many, like we can't have a favorite of that many things. We've got one or two, like that's, that's the whole point of a favorite or the things that are important to us. So if you think of all the stuff in your household, all the stuff you spent in the last month, all the things you spend money on, most of that stuff isn't actually going to be that important to you. It just isn't. I would and, agree 100%. And that's for everybody. And that's why once you shift that mindset and you stop chasing, money starts becoming less and less important. And the few things that you really care about become important. I, I, I love that mindset. And we're getting ready to, to close up the bar here. But, you know... I want to kind of go back to a question though, is, you know, I'm far from affluential. I I would, you know, and I I saw a thing the other day and it really was a a mind kind of a mindset opener for me. Um, And it was like, it listed all these different people. It was like Barack Obama retired from politics at 55. Donald Trump started at age 70. You know, this guy retired as a billionaire at 25 you're just starting your final career at 40. Don't judge yourself by where other people have already finished, you know, figure out yourself. But what are some of those mindsets as we're getting ready to close up here? I want to kind of, you know, see, you know, there's, it sounds like the book's got, it's got four great lessons for any kid to understand about becoming financially secure, not becoming wealthy, secure. I think is a better term to use because uh, I had somebody ask me this one time and here's one for you to put in your next book. You want to know one of my favorite questions to ask people It really will blow their mind. Every answer you get is different. How do you define wealth? Do you know what wealthy is to me? I'll tell you, I'll give you the secret way. Wealthy to me is somebody who can walk into a car dealership and buy a car outright. Something is now you might say, Murph, I've done that 10 times. I've never done that. I've never been able to do that. Couldn't do it today. But I've known people that could, and they're like, yeah, I just went and bought that car. And I'm like, what? So that's wealth to me, defining that that ability for wealth. But do you have anything coming up, any speaking engagements, anything online that people could, could go and, you know, it sounds like probably if you did, they would be family-friendly events where people could see you or listen to you speak like a TED Talk kind of thing. Anything coming up where you're talking about this stuff? Yeah, I know I'll be at uh, FinCon, which is really big in the financial community. So uh, financial conference, it's uh, in New Orleans later this year, I believe in November. We're in a speaking event up there. Yeah. My accountant is there in New Orleans. Oh, World. okay. Yeah. I'll have to ask my accountant if he's going to be at FinCon because yeah. that's where he's at. He he's a very, very, very 
keeps my head above water. So, yeah, well, it's a fun spot. I mean, this is, I mean, their tagline is, I think, where money nerds unite. And so it's a, uh, it's a good event. And I'm doing, I mean, if you go to the awesome stuff, you'll see, you know, on there, if I'm doing, new, you know, podcasts that I've done or articles that I've written or different engagements. So I'm always trying to get this message out there. Cause I mean, if you think about it, like we've, we've been talking about some heavy, pretty heavy topics or, or important ones anyway, these lessons, five-year-olds get these lessons as complicated as they sound like your five-year-old will know what their favorite toy is and what their awesome stuff is. They know. And we, as parents know, we know when we're on a road trip and we, you know, lost their favorite stuffy or something and they're just freaking out like we know what's important to them and what's not and what needs to be saved in a fire and what doesn't for those you know for those five-year-olds so they get this stuff and once they get it and they're aware of it it sticks and that's why this is so important to me because these are lessons that if you get it when you're five you'll be you'll be the same way in your 50s and and that really shifts everything. So like when you're talking about wealth, I think for most people, like they'll define wealth as something just beyond what they can currently afford. That's probably the most common definition of wealth. What's something what about, more? What about you, David? Do you have a thing that when you look at it, you say, this is, this is how I picture wealth. That's why I said like, to me, somebody who walks into the car dealership and goes, I'll take that one. And they're like, well, let's go ahead and get the financing paperwork done. And they're like, no, no that one so for me and i talk a little bit about this in the book for me wealth financial freedom is where money fades in the background and isn't something that you even think about when you're making decisions and your money is working for you so you don't have to be doing all the work yourself so even in the book it culminates in this concept of freedom so you can do more things that are important to you back to the awesome stuff. What's really important to you. And so I don't think of it as a number. I think of it as my money earning enough that I don't have to work. And that's going to be a different amount for every person, but that's why the mindset is so important because if you're not in that mindset of the awesome stuff and you're in the mindset of a mindset of acquiring, it doesn't matter how much money you have. There's always going to be more to acquire and you'll never achieve that. You'll never achieve a point in life where you have enough. Okay. I'm going to pick your brain again because we're getting close to closing this thing up. Take it. You said buying stocks is great and all, but long-term investments. What are your thoughts on should people put their money in, like, and I'll use this as the scenario. Company doesn't do a 401k match. Let's just say that. Your company doesn't do a 401k match. Should you still go with whatever 401k they offer? Or does it make more sense to do your own investment and get an investment planner? What's your I thought? mean, I like I I mean, I like keeping it simple. And rather than stock picking, I would invest in the tire stock market. So you're not stock picking. So go with so, an inv your investor. Go with an investor or you could do it yourself. Like there's funds that will invest in the entire stock market. One fund, entire stock market. You're not stock picking. Either the economy is going up or it's going down. And that over the long run outperforms 
stock picking virtually 100% of the time. And now what you got to keep in mind, though, is this is long run. Long run doesn't mean one year, doesn't even mean five years. We're talking 10, 20 years. But over those types of periods of time, which we're talking about when we're thinking of like 20s or 30s, even 40s, looking to build up a portfolio to retire on over a 20 or 30 year run, the entire stock market's always going to outperform. Absolutely. And, oh, here's how old I am, David. I remember when it got over 10,000 points. Mm-hmm. Oh, you got. Oh. Oh, oh, there we go. What's up, Air Bush? Eighteen says, "Hey, what's up?" Uh, but yeah, I I can still remember when uh, when it went over ten thousand points, and I've always said that it is a rich man's game, and they will not lose. So put your money where all theirs are, because if you'd have bought it, if you could have invested in something that when the stock market was just hitting ten thousand points, what's it now? Over twenty five, thirty thousand. Well, yeah, when it's it's averaging at least 10% a year, even with its ups, its downs, its crashes, and at 10%, your money's doubling every seven years. That's crazy. And so, and if you try to stock pick, you take someone like even like a Warren Buffett, who, you know, the stock market outperformed his investments over COVID. And over the long run, if you look at it, you know, someone like him, who's, no, you know, thought of as like the best investor of our generation or our, our lifetime and he, he can't outperform the market and even to his estate he recommends invest in the entire stock market don't stock pick it's just Unless you're nancy pelosi and then just follow her stock picks go to what is it uh sleeping whale or whatever that website is something whale and they just they tell everybody every day well this is what nancy invested in go move your money and you you'll win every time the, the woman makes Warren Buffett look like like a child. I don't know how she does it. It's just so impressive. I mean, there is over time, though. I know you're just joking about that. <laughs> I ain't over that woman. Over, <laughs> but we've seen we've seen people who've like just killed the market for ten years, twenty years, and then over a forty year period, just tanked the last few years, and they would have been better off. Well, they think they know better than the market. Yeah. And it's and the thing is, it's it's really hard to consistently outperform the market. Really hard. And that's, again, over long periods of time. And that's what I don't think people always consider. They're, they might be thinking like a one-year or five-year term. But you start thinking these longer terms. And that's why I love like the kids. If you start in your 20s, investing 10 or 20% of anything that came in, and you think of that doubling every seven years, you, I mean, within 20 years, your money's making more than your like more than you're earning. Your money's making best investment for parents because we're almost done here. Best investment for parents for their kids. So like, hey, your kids here, kid obviously isn't it is just being born, isn't putting any money away. Best investment in your opinion. I mean, if you can do the entire stock market, do so that. Stay, that that's your that's your your call. Entire stock market. Like I like insurance policies, uh, whole life, not term life, whole life. I like those for kids. I mean, those are all good, but you're gonna, you're not gonna outperform the entire. No, stock you'll market. never outperform the market. You just won't, and especially if you're doing the entire stock market. So one, you're not stock picking, and then ideally, if you're doing those investments over a period of time, now you're also not market timing. What is market timing? I've never heard that term. So if you're trying to find the perfect time to invest in the market. 
and hope that you don't like buy just before a crash or buy just before it goes up. That, that as well is tricky. So if you're every month you're investing or every two months you're investing or every quarter, whatever it is, if you're always investing, then all that averages out. So even if you go through a big crash, like even, you know, the dot-com boom or the real estate crash or any of these things, you're not buying at the bottom because you're always buying. So it averages out. So your, okay. your investment, you're never buying at the top or the bottom. You're buying the average. What the cost dollar average, or am I saying dollar right? cost averaging? Dollar cost average. Yep. Now, yeah. now, now I know. No, we're talking. Yes, absolutely. Understand exactly what you're talking about. We'll we'll look first. Um, I don't know why. I'm assuming at this point everybody's already bought at least two copies of the Golden Quest, and that they've hit went on to uh, LinkedIn or somewhere, and they found David. And they went and said, hey, I'm going to mail you these so you can sign every copy of them. So he gets writer's cramp in his hand. And then he's got to walk around like this, like he's got a little claw. I know you've all done this already. And I expect that everyone's going to go on to the awesomestuff.com, written out just how it sounds, the awesomestuff.com. And they're going to buy stocking stuffers or Christmas gifts for all their kids. And they're going to hand them this book. And they're going to say, I'm done buying you Christmas gifts because now I'm going to give you a book so you know how to invest and stop playing with my money. Because that's what you all need to go and do so that you can. And then David will have, you know, more time to spend with his sons and they can have more awesome stuff. And then you'll learn how to have awesome stuff. And then we'll all have awesome stuff. And it'll be like this dystopian future where we've all figured it all out. Because at this point, I still haven't figured out why people don't know what the hell they're doing. It's all written down for you. We've all put it in, in, in writing. It's we choose not to. We like where we're at. Comfort being I just learned this one. The mind likes to be comfortable. It doesn't like to be challenged. Did you know that, David? Oh, yeah. It, well, and the change, you know, change is tough. Right? It is. It's uncomfortable. Yeah. And um, that's why I build this as habits. So once those habits become second nature, you don't even think about it. That is the goal. Like everything in this book happens where you don't have to think about it. Your kids don't think about it. They grew up as adults. They don't think about it. And money stops becoming something that they're worried about. So that's that's really the goal. Again, without any judgment, your awesome stuff. If it's shoes, if it's cars, if it's any like it's up to you. Just know how it makes you feel. And if it doesn't make you feel lit up and happy and you can feel in your body, then it's probably not the awesome stuff. And you just nailed it. I like shoes. That's my best friend Ken. He likes cars and I'm curious. I'm assuming Ken has already bought my grandchildren each a copy of this book so that they can read it. I know you did, Ken. So, as always, folks, look, go check out theawesomestuff.com. Go on to Facebook and look up The Golden Quest, just like it sounds. There's no weird spelling or anything like that, like we always end up with. Make sure you're checking out everything that David's got going on. See what he has happening. Uh you're pretty open to questions on LinkedIn. Somebody shoot you a message on LinkedIn. For sure. LinkedIn, Instagram, TikTok. Send me a direct email to my only website. Fans. Only only fans. <laughs> Foot finder. Any, that's it. That's, that's, all, I've got. Awesome that's all I got. <laughs> we're trying to find the awesome stuff and get paid here. Like we're all trying to we can be able to afford the awesome stuff somehow. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you do whatever you got to do. But make sure everybody's going on and checking out what David's got going on at the same time. As always, remember, like I said, folks, sticker in a cause, Facebook, LinkedIn, YouTube, Twitter, Twitch, TikTok, 
Instagram, all those different things. Make sure you're you're jumping on there. You're letting us know what you got going on, sending us a message. Hey, we got some awesome stuff this Saturday, David. We're doing I don't do a lot of Saturday shows. I don't. But we've got a new program coming out this Saturday called Second Front Podcast or Second Front Network presents after the lights go out. You want to talk about awesome stuff. I love sports. We're talking to at athletes and their spouses after their careers are over with what was that world like going from mm. walking into the rest it, we you've seen the 30 on 30s we've seen the other stuff that's out there but this is really focused on what happens when that contract doesn't get signed you're not traded to another team anymore and you go back to doing day to day i just learned that two of my favorite ravens players like two of the greatest players ever to play on the Ravens. They're both over the road truck drivers. Now these were guys that were making millions upon millions of dollars. They're truck drivers. Now talk about like my mind was like, so this Saturday, 8 PM Eastern standard time, Facebook, LinkedIn, YouTube, Twitter, Twitch. We have Imara, uh, Imara Lewis, which is Jamel Lewis's uh, wife. She's going to be talking about the wife side to it. She's seen it all with him from, his career when it started all the way uh, to where it ended and his lip, you know, and talks about a little bit, you know, there were some dark times for him afterwards and Marquise uh, Ogden, who was a Baltimore Raven, whose brother is uh, Jonathan Ogden, hall of famer, Baltimore Raven. There's a little bit of a theme here, a little theme. I don't know. Look, that's where I could get my first ones to get on here. We're going to have more though. We're going to have, I want to have, look, if you know any athletes, Look, David, I'm looking for athletes, even collegiate, collegiate athletes who had to leave, you know, swimmers. I'm really want to talk to swimmers. You know that? Because swimmers are like these people that in the pool all the time, work their ass off and college is over with. And if you don't make the Olympics, it's done. There's nothing, nowhere for you to go. Like, how crazy is that? Nothing. You know what? Uh, I mean, West Coast, we've got a lot of rowers, Olympian. Oh, I would Olympian love rowers. I talked to, I had a rower on my show. I had the, uh, the, I don't know if she was the most decorated uh, Canadian athlete, but she's, uh, the, I think she's the most decorated uh, rower. I can't think of her name right now in Canada. Uh, gold medalist. I had her on the show. Mm, yeah. I have, to, I have to think about her name for a minute. This is like episode 190 something. So they all kind of run together. Don't know. I bet you uh, I'd mess up her name, but I, I, I think she lives in Victoria. I think I know exactly who you're talking about. She might actually. She she is a left coast, uh, left coast Canadian, blonde, yeah. very pretty. I can't think of her name. She was very cool, though, to talk to. So, But as we always do on every episode, every time we, we talk there, uh, David, and don't log off on me, the guest gets the final word. So what is your final word for us? Just start teaching your kids about money. Talk about it. Just talk about it. Alrighty, folks. Be sure to push your stool in. This has been a Second Front Podcast presentation found on Apple, Spotify, and wherever podcasts can be found. 